The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of our faith of the faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Amen. So I'm going to vacillate from the script a little bit today because I think God, ooh, Deacon almost knocked out Virginia. Um, not, not good form, Deacon. It's not, way to, it's not way to keep people coming to the church. I'm, I'm going to, well, okay, that's a good thing. I want to talk about jokes, okay? A joke is something that makes us, what makes us laugh at jokes is when something happens that's unexpected. And sometimes people, sometimes it's because somebody gets hurt. Sometimes it's because a person in a powerful situation is put in a, in a very humble situation. But it's always something unexpected, and it's always two things don't seem to go together, like a deacon knocking poor Virginia on the head. You wouldn't expect a deacon to do that, right? So... Um, I was going to give an incidence from some of the, um, the cartoons I've seen this week about the election. I thought it was pretty benign, but I think I was going to hold off on that, given the deacon gave me a way out. G.K. <laughs> Chesterton said that all of Christianity rests upon a sacred joke. Now think about that for a second. Christianity is a sacred joke. What he meant by that is that two incongruous things come together in a way very unexpected. We know that the God of all creation stripped himself of his glory, all of his power, all that was rightly his, to be born of a poor girl named Mary in some backward part of Judea. It almost reminds me of the story of the king and the pauper, except no mere human went to heaven pretending to be Jesus. And Jesus was pretending to be man. He was man. St. Paul points this out very well in his letter to the Philippians. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped at. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. Two things that we don't think would ever go together come together in a way that expresses some element of truth, right? Now, today being the Feast of Christ the King, the church reminds us, as we get ready for Christmas, that Jesus is the supreme king of the entire universe. Yet, what do we hear about in the gospel today? It doesn't really match what we think of someone who's powerful, who created the whole universe. To us, kings are one of two type of people. They're rich. They sit on their thrones and they kind of wave like this, right? And in a lot of countries today, kings and monarchs, kings and queens are mere figureheads. They don't have any political power. The political power is selected by the people in some kind of parliamentary government, right? The Israelites had a different idea of a king. They called him the Messiah. Their king was going to be a military ruler. He was going to come and knock the Romans off the seven hills in Rome and set Israel up as the crown of all kingdoms. And, and in reality, that's not far from what God told them was going to happen because God set Israel apart to be, to be his special people 
so that, all, so that they would gather in the rest of humanity and bring them to him to worship him in the temple. There's, there's several passages in the Bible that talk about all peoples will come and worship me in the temple. The Israelites never kind of got that part. Okay? So today we see the image of our king stripped naked upon his cross. He seems utterly powerful and totally defeated. Yet, remember, this was all part of God's plan to recreate the world. Not destroying it the way he did in the time of Noah, but by curing it from the death of sin through the blood of his very own and very beloved son. Some of the church fathers went so far as to call the cross Jesus' throne in order to stress both his kingship and ultimate victory. There's a little story about that. The cathedral, above all places, had a, had a, a bare cross up on the wall with, I guess you, you call it the risen Jesus on it, okay? Someone had donated a corpus, which, which is what the, the, the crucified body of Christ was how we refer to it. And they had a big church meeting as to whether they ought to use it or not. And, and it was getting to the point where it was going to be a church split over the use of this gift somebody gave them. One of the deacons, dear friend of mine, got up and said, that image is the most perfect example of love you will ever, ever see. And everybody quieted down and they went to use the corpus after that. But the corpus, the, the crucifix, has been a sign of division from day one in the Christian faith. And it started with the Jews. They were mocked and ridiculed because they believed God was supreme and that he cared for all mankind. After all, everybody around them worshipped whatever God was in the local area. And, it was, and these gods were just as flawed as they were. I mean, their gods erred, their gods fought, and some of their gods even died. Very rarely, but you do find in mythology instances of gods dying. The Israelites got to the point where they felt absolutely fine with accepting these flawed gods of their neighbors and those who conquered them as their very own. Um, Alan, can you put the image on the screen? Just, just go to the first one. I heard about this as I was prepping for um, the sermon, and I wanted to bring it up. This is, this is a, well, go to the second one for a quick. I want to show them. This came from this. This was found on a stone wall in a gladiator's training arena in a, somewhere between the end of the first century, beginning of the second century. And so the, the one before it is an etching, so you can kind of get a better idea what the picture shows, okay? And it's, it's thought to be the earliest depiction of the crucifixion. Notice that Jesus has a donkey head. The words underneath it say, Alexander, who I guess is the person with his arm up in worship, Alexander worshiping his God. They were mocking Alexander. Okay, these were pagans who were mocking Alexander because he worshiped Jesus Christ, because they couldn't imagine a God who would hang himself on a cross and take the, the, the worst form of torture the Romans had for, for us. They couldn't figure that out. So I just wanted to point that out, that, you know, this, we think that we're being persecuted 
because they tell us we can't put up mangers and we can't, you know, we can't, we got to take the Ten Commandments out of the, out of the, church, out of the um, government buildings and stuff like that. That's been going on since day one, okay? Okay, I was going to tell you a little more about the story. Part of the reason that Jesus has the head of a donkey is because the Romans believed that when the Israelites roamed around the desert for 40 years, they used to follow donkeys to find water. So, ergo, they follow a donkey, okay? But like I said, this is, this is ridicule. This is, not, um, this is obviously not complimentary, okay? Now, let's face it. As I said, we're still mocked today because we believe the God of the universe humbled himself to die for each and every one of us. People still can't accept that fact. They can't accept the fact that they're not in control of their own destiny. Or they go to say that science is the answer. Um, the, like the, that the guy, Neil deGrasse, I forget what his, what's his last name? Tyson. Tyson. I should have known that, Mike Tyson. Um, you know, he's, he's a, he was a disciple of Carl Sagan. And, and I tried to watch a couple of his shows, and he just ridiculed Christians so much that I just, I just quit watching him. Okay, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a confirmed atheist. Um, one has only got to look at, at television and movies to see how Christians are mocked. I mean, how many of you have seen The Simpsons? Do you know who Ned Flanders is? That's what they think a Christian is. <laughs> okay, that, that's, that's The Simpsons' definition of a Christian, all right? However, we wear this image of the crucified Jesus as a stigma, as a badge of honor, because Jesus was mocked and treated the same way by the very people who murdered him. It's a statement of fact. We heard about it in the gospel today. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Once again, those weren't complimentary, okay? They even hung the title of his crime above his head didn't say that he had blasphemed the temple. It didn't say that he made himself God. The, the title, the sentence of his crucifixion was the king of the Jews. So the Romans weren't only, shall we say, sticking it to Jesus. They were sticking it to the whole Jewish nation when they, had that, when they put that sign up there, okay? Now the question that I have for today is why can't people accept the fact? Accept the fact that God loves his people so much that he sacrificed himself so that they could have, so that each of us could have the opportunity to live with him for all eternity. We honor soldiers who jump on hand grenades to save their fellow soldiers. We honor firemen who die in a, in a building trying to save other people. I even heard something the other day about a woman in Frederick, Maryland, who was attacked by a bear, and, and, they, and, they, and they glorified the bear because it was protecting its cub. <laughs> I mean, this is how insane some of this stuff gets. Now, if we can understand why people, and even animals, can put themselves at risk, can, can die for others of their kind, why can't we accept a God that would do the same thing? I think the part of the reason is that we as a society, and I would bet a lot of us in church, have lost 
the connection that created in the beginning between power and love. Power and love were perfectly blended in a God who can create the world from absolutely nothing and then, and then allow himself to die, to die on the cross while forgiving the very people who put the nails in his hands and his feet, who put the crown, and crown of thorns on his head, who scourged him at the pillar, and even Lund, Lund, I can't remember the, the soldier's name, Longenius, who when he was dead pierced the side and blood and water came up. Power and love were present in the creation of Adam and Eve. However, when they ate the forbidden fruit, they made a decision to go their own way. They decided they wanted the power of their, over their own lives and the power to make their own decisions. They stopped caring about each other and they refused to be good stewards of creation. So they were made, Adam and Eve were created to rule over the planet and eventually to bring all people into a, a loving relationship with God. They, they turned down that, that commission they were given. And after that happened, after the fall, it didn't take long for envy to enter into their family, followed very shortly by the first murder. Mankind stopped cultivating the resources of this planet and started to exploit it for their own benefit. Love cannot exist when one worries about himself more than he worries about others. By the very definition of love, it cannot exist if you're more worried about yourself than you are about others. As a result, power was separated from godly love and mankind became more and more focused on individual wants and individual desires. And I think we see that very clearly in the culture today. Think of how when you meet someone or you're put in a situation and, and what is the, when you're sizing up a situation, you look at who's got more power. You know, it can be, and, and it happens all over the place. It happens in our careers. When you, you meet somebody who's your peer and you try to figure out who's got better clout with the boss, we may call it clout instead of power, but it's clout, right? We look at it in our marriages. I mean, how long has humanity been talking about the war of the sexes? Right? Men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? I mean, that, that whole dynamic was never meant to be that way, all right? And it even comes to our churches. I mean, come on, there's like 30,000 denominations in this country who call themselves Christian, right? That, that's definitely not love, okay? Look at how messed up these things are. Now, on the other hand, Think about the way you portray people who put on love above power. They're kind of like buffoons. You know, in, in the old days, you used to joke, you know, there was even Shakespeare, you know, when, when someone was in love, he kind of walked around like, you know, he wasn't powerful, he wasn't strong, he wasn't going to take down his enemy, right? He kind of like, ah, you know. So we separated those two things. And, and, and in a culture where power is important, love is viewed as weakness. 
the world views, very clearly views, power and love as opposites. But Jesus showed us that neither can healthily exist without the other. And we see this very clearly in, in the second reading and in the gospel. The second reading talks about how all creation was made through Jesus and for Jesus. He's the king of everything. He is in charge. And, and later on it says that when, when, when the time comes, he's going to take all of creation and give it to his father. Right? Power. Power to do anything he wants. I have the power to take down my life, and I have the power to raise it up again. They couldn't do anything to me if I didn't let them do it. That's power. But it's tempered by love. It's, it's not even tempered by love. It's subjected to love. It's made secondary to love in some ways. Because he did all that stuff, not for his own glory, not so he could sit there and say, you know, I really like the song going on at Christ our Redeemer this week. Um, he didn't do that. He did that all because he wants us to have a chance to spend eternity with him in paradise. He gives us all. He opened the gates of hell. He opened the gates of Eden that were closed after Adam and Eve were kicked out and then their derriers. Um, and he's given us a chance to get back in there. Okay? How do we do that? We have to give up the power in our own lives. We, and that's called making yourself subjects to him. Okay? Jesus said, I, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I'm not doing what I want to do. I only do what I see my father doing. Okay? We have to get to the point where we put our own feelings and wants and desires aside and pray Father, what do you want me to do in this situation that I may glorify you in everything I say, think, and do? And I'm going off script here, so I've got to see what's going on. Now, I will tell you, I, I'm, te I'm, I'm telling you this because of School of Hard Knocks, okay? Um, when I first got married, I viewed my role as a husband and a father as a benevolent dictatorship, okay? <laughs> and everything was benevolent as long as I got my way, all right? I thought it was okay, but nobody else did. <laughs> I had to learn the hard way that, you know, I had to put, I had to even subject my marriage. I had to subject my children, my wife, my job, everything to his rule for my life. Okay? I mean, I had a, I had a call to be a priest when I was a kid, and I ran away from it. And it wasn't until I subjected my life to the call that he put on me that things started getting straightened out. I'm not saying everybody here has got a call to the religious life or, or to the ordained clergy, but God has a call in your life. And, and the thing we got to do is we got to figure out how to give up the power of, of, our, of making our own decisions and subject it to him out of love. I mean, how many times does God say in the Bible that you know, not one hair of your head is, I, I know all the hairs on your head, that's how intimately I know you. It tells Jeremiah, before you were in the womb, I knew you. I mean, you know, why are you worried about things? The plants have everything they need. The flowers have everything they need. They're all beautiful. Why are you worried about this stuff? But we, we just keep going around worried about it. Yeah, I was a slow learner, so I started to recognize the same traits in my son. 
Then I started to realize what was going on. Right does not make right. And that legitimate power has to be aligned with God's purpose for each of our lives. Now, once we get this, and I don't just mean, yeah, I get it. We got to let it soak into our hearts. We got to let it soak into our souls. We got to let it take, become part of who we are. Then we can easily understand how the God who created everything out of nothing could limit himself, limit himself in such a way as to become a poor man and walk upon the earth. This isn't like the Roman gods where every once in a while they disguise themselves to go see how the, how the poor people were living, right? He became one of us. He lived as one of us. And he understands everything we're going through. Our God limited his power and came to earth out of love to draw all peoples to himself in order to bring everyone into one fold. He reached out to the blind and the lame he reached out to adulterers and tax collectors. He reached out to Samaritans and lepers, as well as to all those in authority in the Jewish culture. Even as he hung upon the cross, Jesus was more worried about others than he was about himself. He made sure his holy mother was taken care of by St. John. And he promised that the good thief would be with him in paradise. He forgave all those who mocked him and all those who participated in his crucifixion. In doing this, he fulfilled his kingly duty to draw all people to himself. Now, I'm telling you, we're getting ready for Advent, we're getting ready for the new church year, we're getting ready for Christmas, which is the, which is the celebration of the, the nativity of Jesus Christ. Our job today is to start submitting everything in our lives in service to the great king. As I said before, that's our jobs, our families, and even something as small as our sleep habits. This starts by taking an inventory of what we do and think is important and dedicate it to the Lord. It means giving up the power we think is so important and allowing our actions to be governed by love. But I don't mean the kind of love like I talked about before. Okay, it's love and power are two sides of the same coin in the way that justice and mercy are two sides of the same coin. They need to be together or they don't work right. It means forgiving all those who mock and marginalize us so that we can join Jesus as his body. And we join him in his body for one purpose, to draw all mankind to him. Remember, God does not want anything for us except that, that what uh, God does not want anything for us except what will benefit us for all eternity. He's not a benevolent dictator, but he's our loving sovereign in the truest sense of the word. Praise be to Jesus Christ, now and forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we dedicate our lives to you today as your loyal subjects. Come to us and establish your throne in our hearts. Reign over every aspect of our lives so that we might become more and more conformed to you. And as always, we ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. 
Amen.